If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 21. John 3, 1 through 21. Would you give ear to the reading of God's Word? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ever ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our Lord, our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We confess that we sometimes take it for granted. We fail to remember how blessed we are to have the opportunity every week to hear your word preached. We pray that we would not take for granted one moment, one iota of the blessings we have. We know this is your word. You have revealed yourself in it. You have revealed your will in it. You have revealed to our hearts our sins, and you have revealed to us our Savior. We pray, O God, that you would reveal to us this morning from your word even deeper things to help us grow stronger in our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come this morning to the Lord's Supper. At this table we find the love of God shown through 
the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through his life, death, and all that he has done for us. That love is best understood in the light of salvation. This table is a picture. A picture of all God has done on behalf of his people to save them from their sins and the death sin brings. In this passage from the Gospel of John, we learn a lot of our, about our God and about his work of salvation on our behalf. We hear of a man called Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Nicodemus held the seat of teacher of Israel. He was considered to be the most knowledgeable man of his day. He was a very important man in the leadership of the Jewish nation. Why did he come at night? Well, some suggest it was because he was afraid. I don't buy that for a single minute. He was a powerful member of the Sanhedrin. He would certainly have been able to speak with anyone without fearing his fellow commissioners. He most likely came at night for one of two reasons. First, he was a very busy man. Or second, Jesus was always surrounded by crowds in the daytime. Or it could have been both. What Nicodemus wanted to know from Jesus is the same thing we all desire to know. He wanted to know how could he, how could he be reconciled to God the Father. Granted, Nicodemus never asked this question, but Jesus knew his heart. He knew what he really wanted to know. Jesus answers that question in verse 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus could not understand. Now, this shows us the depravity of all men. Here, Nicodemus, the smartest man, the most religious man of the day, doesn't understand the truth about salvation. So Jesus continues to explain the process. This is the same process shown to you on this table. Jesus came into this world to do for those who would believe and trust in him those things they could never do for themselves. He calls this process a new birth. This is one of the great truths that people today have abandoned. They think they can correct the mistakes God made when he created a person. Now I'd ask you, who among you asked to be born into this world? Who of you asked to be given a particular set of parents? Who asked to be born in a particular town or nation? Who here this morning decided what hour, minute, and second you would be born? Who here decided what sex you would be? No one can answer any of those questions. You didn't have anything to do with your birth or any of the circumstances surrounding it. Your birth was by the will of God and God alone. He picked your sex. He has never made a mistake in his choice of anyone's gender. He chose the time of your birth, the place it was to happen, the parents that you were to be entrusted to. All of that was his choice, not yours. And to claim he was wrong in any of these is just plain blasphemy. Understanding this about your physical birth, why would you think you'd have any more to do with your spiritual birth? Nicodemus knew nothing of a spiritual birth. Most people today think their spiritual birth is in their own hands. They think all of the circumstances surrounding this new birth are theirs to decide, to control. What Jesus does in response to Nicodemus' ignorance 
is to very carefully take Nicodemus through this new birth process. He sets him on a straight path to his new spiritual birth. As you read through the passage, you must see that verse 16 stands out as the heart of what Jesus is showing Nicodemus. This morning, as we look at the love of God, we shall use John 3.16 as our foundation. First, we shall note the nature of the love of God. Second, we will identify the source of his love. Third, we shall note the object of his love. Fourth, we will study the gift of his love. And last, we shall examine the purpose of his love. We begin with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's one little word at the beginning of this verse that lays down for us the very nature of our God. That word is the little word, so. How much did God love? He loved so much. He gave, he came and died for his people. Can you even begin to fathom the depth of this love? Can you really grasp hold of what that means? Jesus was in heaven with all the comforts and security that could ever be imagined. Yet, he put off his glory the glory he had with the Father and came down into this sinful and evil world to do those wonderful things for his people they could never do for themselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory. He did this for a bunch of sinful, unrepentant men who had rebelled against him. Men who thumbed their noses at him and mocked him. A race of men that hated and despised him. Now, please remember, we were all a part of that race. As Genesis 6, 5 says, the very thoughts of our hearts were continually evil. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says, there was not a single individual that sought to know God, not even one. That includes you and me. We didn't want to know him because we were perfectly content with our evil ways and thoughts. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us why we were so corrupt. Because our hearts were deceitful above all things, desperately wicked and beyond cure. What hope did we have? Absolutely none, if you put it in yourself. We could do, what could we do? Nothing, and furthermore, we didn't want to do anything about it. Paul says in Romans 1, that although these men knew there was a God, they refused to believe on him. They refused to hear his word, so God gave them up to the corruption of their heart. This certainly sounds bad for mankind. It doesn't leave room for hope at all. That's why people without Christ have no real hope. They have only a false hope founded in their limited and flawed abilities. But we serve a gracious, a merciful God, a God who looks down on us and sees our hopeless estate. Jesus was ministering this very situation in the heart of Nicodemus. In John 3, 16, 
He opens the door to hope for mankind. It begins with the small word so, which shows the wonderful transcendent nature of our God. It shows the infinite decree of his nature. This God so loved. He didn't just love, but he loved with an absolutely amazing love. A love that we as mere human beings cannot even begin to fathom. This love was not a love generated by the emotions of the moment. It was a love that reached across the expanse of time. It was there when the world was made, and it will be there when the world is destroyed and remade in his glorious image. This love was not brought into existence by the actions of others. It was developed in the heart of God. It comes only from his heart. It is objective in nature. You, as the one this love is directed at, cannot do anything to deserve it and cannot do and can do nothing, absolutely nothing to keep it. This is a deep, a marvelous love that defines God's very character. Look around you at our world and tell me, where's that love today? Is our nation following the guidelines of God's love? Are we as a people showing that love in our actions? Are churches standing on that love by preaching the gospel of Christ? Without love, any nation, tribe, or society will fall into chaos. And everyone will begin to do what is right in their own eyes, which will lead to tyranny. A tyranny that will magnify oppression until it destroys itself. John 3.16 begins with the words, for God. Who is making this declaration about love and mankind? It's God. It is a decree he made from the creation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as his sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Before God made the heavens and the earth, he had decided, he had decided to pour his love on a certain group of creatures to do for them what it was impossible for them to do for themselves. Why? Why would he do this? Because of his nature, because of his character. God is always true to his nature and he never does anything to violate that character. It is the very, this very thing that makes what he has accomplished for his people so wonderful. God has shown to all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ his perfect will, his unchangeable nature. He created the world to be a display of his full character. He felt allowed sin into his creation for it was the only way he could display his full character. Because of sin, God was able to show not only his love and grace and mercy, but also his anger, wrath, and justice. In John 3.16, we see the full picture of his nature. Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, was sent to cut the creation into two pieces. Those who would receive his wrath and justice over against those who would receive his grace and mercy. If you will open your ears and hear his wonderful message of hope, 
It will be open. It will open your heart. If you will open your heart and believe on his works. If you will absorb his offer of grace and mercy as it is dedicated here on this table. Then you will be on the side that tastes of the greatest delights and wonders heaven has to offer. But if you refuse to hear this gospel message. If you remain closed of heart and unwilling to acknowledge your sin and your need of a savior. If you go, you, you do not partake with a willing heart of the fruits of this table then you will be one who stands on the wrong side and will suffer under God's anger, wrath, and justice. You will spend an eternity in hell. There are no other options. There's no such place as purgatory where people can buy you out of hell. Once dead, your place is set. You either hear and believe in this life what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ and all he's done, or you close off your heart to this good news. God made this invitation to every living soul. It is a very clear message. Believe and go to heaven or reject and go to hell. Jesus Christ came into this world. He came to do those things for you you could never do. He has lived that perfect life that you're required to live before the law. He has won the atonement for your sins by his death on Calvary's cross. An atonement you could never make on your own. He has won the resurrection victory in order to open heaven's gate for you to enter and be with him for eternity. But you have to believe and trust in him and in him alone. It is this divine love that drives God to offer such an invitation to sinful creatures. He is offering this wonderful opportunity of salvation to all. A salvation that is a true saving of the soul. Yes, we were all sinful creatures, not deserving of anything from our Creator. But God was not about to lose all of His creation to sin, Satan, and death. So He came into this world out of a heart of love to show His people mercy. Paul explains this in Romans 5, 8-10. through 10. God came and demonstrated to us through Christ His love. For all who would hear and believe, they would be saved from his wrath. He took us who were by nature his enemies and saved our souls by his own sacrifice. The Apostle John agrees with this. In 1 John 4.19 he declares, we love him because he first loved us. Isn't that wonderful? John shows why you should and must love God. God shows you that he is the source of salvation by doing for you what you could never do. He does this. He calls you to love him. Why? Because of his great love for you. On this table, we see all Christ came to do. Who is it he did it for? Who are the objects of his love? John says it was the world. Now, what does this mean? Does it mean every soul to ever live? Does it mean the souls of angels? Hebrews 2, 16 and 17. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's not the angels he was sent to help. It was not just mankind alone. 
It was the seed of Abraham. If Jesus died for all of mankind, then all of mankind would be saved. God's sovereign. What he does, he gets. If he sets it in motion, it's going to happen. If this is true, why do we need to preach the gospel? As John 3.16 goes on to say, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. I think this shows that the object of his love has been sinful mankind. He sent his son into this world of sinful mankind in order to make a way of salvation for his people. Who are these people that are lost in this sinful world? We're talking about only a small part of those whole of mankind. That's the seed of Abraham, those who believe and trust as Abraham did. They are those who will hear his voice and believe on him. John 5, 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The object of God's love was not all men, but those men who would hear God's voice and believe on the one he sent. Who are these men? I think the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 37-43 explains this very well. Let me explain what it means. The field in the parable was the world, and we clearly see two sides. A people planted by God and a people planted by the devil. The message of this gospel brought by Jesus Christ into the world was to those God planted. In John 10, Jesus says that his people will hear his voice and follow him. It is his people and his people alone who will hear and be saved. Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you heard the voice of your Savior calling you? If you have, then turn your attention to him. Take his word and study and learn and grow and understand. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Because of his great love, God reached out to his people and delivered a great and marvelous gift. John 3.16 says that he gave his only begotten son. In the Greek, it's expressed this way, that he gave his son the only begotten. The reason for this, the reason for their change, is that emphasis is to be placed on the amazing greatness of the gift, on the only begotten Son. There has never been a greater gift, 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God sent his only begotten Son into this world to take the sins of his people upon himself and to suffer the penalty of those sins in their place. He sent him to defeat those enemies that captured the souls of mankind and to turn their plan for the subjection of creation into a failed mess. Through Jesus Christ, God has done exactly that as his gift to his people. You look at history. The worst tyrants and you can find anywhere in history. And what happens? They stay until they have just totally destroyed the whole nation. And then God sends a revival to that nation. And he brings an end to the tyranny of evil. He says he gave. The word gave in the Greek is the word didomi. can also be translated commit. So it could be said he committed his only begotten son to this world. God did not think I have to do something to help mankind. He didn't send Christ in an attempt to try and save some men. God made a decree. 
He made a decree before the world was founded that he would save a group of men from the sin of this world. He predestined those who would be saved. It was his choice who would and who would not be saved. Our God is the sovereign Lord over all things. He does not farm out his sovereignty to others. He is, not, he is the one in control, and he has already set his plan into action, and it will be completed just as he decreed in the beginning. Now, please understand this when we say that uh, it was his choice. That doesn't remove your responsibility to follow the Great Commission and to go out and tell everybody. And the scripture tells us very clearly, if you go out and tell people, it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be the odor of death or the savor of life. Either they're going to hear the good news and go believe it, or they're not. If they believe it, it's a great blessing to them. If they don't believe them, it's a great judgment upon them. God decreed in eternity past. It was decreed and was shown in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 to send Christ into this world. He came to do everything needed for the salvation of his people. 1 John 3.16 tells us about this commitment. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Without this wonderful commitment to give his life in our place, we would never know love. This is the very nature of God. It is the source of his grace and mercy and the commerce of the actions of men. Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things This commitment God made to us made through his only son is the only the beginning of his gifts to us That's where it all begins Jesus Christ came to do everything necessary to save the souls of those given him by the Father not just his life, death, and resurrection, but also the Holy Spirit, his word, and the new heart and new spirit. The thing I do so won't see in this is that it is by the gift, by the commitment of God in giving Jesus Christ that you're saved. There's no other way to salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. The giving of Jesus Christ to be killed on Calvary's cross is the climax of God's love. You may remember the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21. A man planted a vineyard and then rented it out and left on a long trip. The tenants refused to pay him rent. He sent servant after servant to collect his rent and they beat some and killed the others. Then at the end, he sent his only son and they also killed him. It says, after that, when he comes, he will deal with these wicked men with justice and wrath. Just as in the parable, the climax of the man's efforts was the sending of his son, so the climax of God's efforts with us is the sending of his son. The only thing left is judgment and the separation of men into two camps. Those who acknowledge the gift and believe on the one sent will be saved. Those not believing will be cast into hell forever. What's the purpose behind God sending his son into this world? God created the world as an act of love. God wanted his, a people who would, would, would he, people whom he could fellowship with. He wanted to have fellowship. He created Adam and Eve. What did he do? He built them a garden to live in, 
filled with the lights, the lights that would meet their every need. He came into that garden every evening to do what? Fellowship with them. When they failed, he would have been well within his rights to to have destroyed them in the garden he built for them. But he didn't do that. Yes, he punished them by casting them out of the garden. He told them they would still be able to live, but it would be by the sweat of the brow with an act of grace that they didn't deserve. He continued to watch over them and prevent them from destroying themselves. He gave them the law to show them how to seek him, but they refused. Always wanting to do everything themselves. He then sent his only begotten son to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who hear and believe in this one sent to tell men of God, sent to do for them what they could never do for themselves, will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ was sent into this world to seek and find that which was lost. He came to divide the people of this world. He came to separate the sheep from the goats. He came to fulfill all that Scripture had decreed was necessary for a people to be saved. He came to save his people from their sins. This was not a project based on chance. It was a sure work based on a sure decree by God the Father. If you will hear and believe, you can be assured of having received this wonderful gift. My friends, on this table, this is a picture of all Jesus Christ came in this world to do. He came and lived the perfect life, fulfilling all that Scripture calls a man to do in order to enter the presence of his God. He died the atoning death to provide to everyone who would hear this call the forgiveness they needed to overcome the sins they lived in. He won the resurrection victory to secure for all who place their trust and hope in him and in him alone a sure path to heaven. This was and is the purpose of the gospel. To bring men to the knowledge of their sinfulness and to show them the one and only way to heaven. We see in all of this that God created man out of a love for those he called. The larger catechism asked in its first question, what is the chief and highest end of man? This would be the same thing as asking why God created man. The answer says man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. The love of God is made clear in this answer. Man was made to be a part of the heavenly chorus to sing joyfully before God's throne bringing to him glory and honor. But it went even further in that man was called to enjoy the pleasures of heaven and the fellowship of God himself. Consider this table and take to heart what it offers. It offers you the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ and a prepared place in heaven where you can grow in the love of God, a love greater than your imagination can totally understand. So when you arrive in heaven at the throne of your God, you shall spend the rest of eternity growing in this divine love. Please, look at the message of this table. It's very clear. 
Jesus came into this world as the only begotten Son of the God who created the world and all that's in it. He came to bring a message of love and hope. He came to call every man to come and find salvation. We do believe in a universal call of the gospel. Open your ears and listen. Open your heart and believe. No one can come who is not called and no one can be saved who does not come. What was prepared for man in the first garden was only a picture. A picture of what his love would produce for those that place their, place their hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Not only will God provide for you, watch over you, and keep you safe, but he will fellowship with you. He will give you joy. Joy of heart through that fellowship, making the man who believed the recipient of the highest place heaven could ever offer. A place sitting with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We also thank you for the truth which you have committed to us in your word. Grant that we would hold on to that truth and that we would rely on your mercy and grace. We know we can do nothing apart from your grace. We need you always working in our hearts and showing us where our strength comes from. Help us to stay true to the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the greatest gift your grace has given us. May we ever rest in him and all he did for us. In Christ's name, amen.